everyone, and welcome to All Shall Be Well. I'm Anne Boyd, host of All Shall Be Well, a podcast by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We're here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So, if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Today we're talking with Dr. Rob Dixon, author of the forthcoming book, Together in Ministry, Women and Men in Flourishing Partnerships. So I'll be honest, when I first heard about this book, I thought, oh, how nice, a friendly guy writing about how women and men can work together well. What a very good idea. And it was a good idea. In fact, when I started reading it, I was kind of floored by the richness of Rob Dixon's vision for mixed-gender ministry partnerships. Through his research, Rob uncovers a much more comprehensive model for flourishing partnerships than I had imagined, and it awakened in me a longing that I hadn't even known was there. I'm still wrestling with it, honestly, and wondering how to create space for more flourishing in the partnerships in my own church community and workspace. And it's just the kind of good work that a book can do in a person. And I'm really glad that Rob is sharing this book and the vision he has with the world. So let me give you a little background on Dr. Rob Dixon. He has worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA for over two decades and is currently an Associate Regional Ministry Director and Senior Fellow for Gender Partnership with the InterVarsity Institute. He is an adjunct professor at Fresno Pacific University and Fuller Theological Seminary, and he provides training on flourishing mixed-gender ministry partnerships for numerous organizations around the country. And... He is really fun to talk to. So let's get into this conversation. We're so glad you're here. So Rob, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you came to write together in ministry? Yeah, well, sometimes um, I I find myself asking that same question. How did I get here? Um, so right before pandemic in February of 2020, I flew from my home in California to central Missouri, Columbia, Missouri, to be precise. And I, I did a training on the content of Together in Ministry with a group of pastors and leaders at this theological education center, which is located in an old mall, de- decaying mall there in Columbia. And um, at some point during the day, I sent them into groups to work on something. And I stood off to the side, caught my breath, and I just had this moment of, wow, how did I get here? How did I get to the point where I flew halfway across the country for a one-day training with a group of people I've never met, probably will never see again. It's cold here in Missouri. Right. I don't have the right jacket. Uh, and, and I'm training them on how to have healthy partnerships between women and men in ministry. That it just, it's, so sometimes I have my own moment, Anne, of, of thinking, how did I get here? It's, it's wild to me. So the, the short answer to that, I think, is 
I'm just trying to follow Jesus. And this is the road. This is the journey that the Lord has led me on. Um, so maybe I'll share just a couple of quick highlights from that. I look back and I see that men and women working together in ministry has been a part of my experience from the very beginning. So I grew up in a church where, where women were on the pastoral staff, women preached, not uncommon to see shared leadership between women and men during a Sunday service. And then, you know, in my, my family growing up, uh, women provided a good deal of the spiritual horsepower, so to speak, right? That have carried a lot of authority in our family. And so have this uh, sort of experience of strong, gifted, godly women in my life. And so that, I think that really is sort of foundational for me. Um, and then when I got to college, and I think this probably is the biggest single part of my journey, I got involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, so campus ministry. And um, InterVarsity not always perfectly, but has long had it, uh, a theology and a practice of women and men working together in the context of ministry. And I stepped into that stream. And so my the very first small group I ever went to with InterVarsity as a freshman in college was led by a woman and a man working together as older students. And then pretty quickly, I started to be mentored by a woman who was leading our community and that's 30 years ago. So I joined, I've been involved with InterVarsity wow. student and staff for 30 years. And it's hard to overstate the influence of being in that system, being a part of that. InterVarsity has provided for me a chance to try this stuff out, to learn by doing, to uh, experience the joy of working with women. So I've had women supervisors. I've partnered as peers with women. I've supervised women. So I've tried out all the options that way in terms of configuration and uh, not to say, and we've had a lot of the stories from my 30 years with InterVarsity found their way into get into together in ministry. Um, there's been some hard ones, some joyful ones. And, and so it's provided kind of the laboratory for me to work out what it, what it looks like to partner well with someone of the opposite gender. And then the third, the, the final sort of part of my journey I'll share is, um, in 2014, I enrolled as a student at Fuller Theological Seminary in the doctoral program, and I spent four years investing in this topic and thinking about it every day. I read every book I could get my hands on. I, I'll, we'll talk in a bit about the research process, but I got to sit with more than 60 different staff, university staff, who gave me input on what it looks like to have flourishing partnerships and I got to write a dissertation all under the supervision of some amazing professors with a cohort of student peers that I got to, to journey with. And I can't, again, just was this profound season of learning and growing. And so all the way back to the beginning. So why am I here? How did I get here? I, I'm just trying to follow Jesus, trying to be faithful and respond to where the Lord's leading in my life and where that's brought me has been this combination of academic work and a whole lot of practitioner, you know, sort of living this stuff out every day. And, and that hopefully is what I bring to the table in together in ministry and in, in the work I'm doing uh, with it. Well, and it's, it's such a treat that we get to enjoy the fruit of the, of your following Jesus and pursuing his call and uh, writing this amazing book that was so inspiring. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So let's let's dig right into the book. You offer um, in Together in Ministry a vision for 
Flourishing Mixed Gender Ministry Partnerships. And you present it in this beautifully organized structure with 10 attributes that are gathered into three separate domains. Um, and the framework was really rich and I loved it. Can you just give listeners a little orientation to this model? Yeah, sure. So first of all, I'll, I'll just chuckle a bit at your, I think you used the phrase, Anne, you said beautifully organized structure. <laughs> I'm so glad for that um, because I remember the process of getting to that and it feeling a little bit more, I don't know, mad scientist than anything else, I suppose, with piles of interview transcripts and you know, audio recordings of focus groups and field notes from participant observation studies and all of the things that go into a research process and it just littering my office and a full whiteboard and all of that. Sure. Uh, uh, so I'm so I'm super grateful to, to end up, I hope I end up with a final product that's clear and cogent for, for folks. Um, so I entered the doctoral program in 2014. Like I said, I was curious about what makes ministry partnerships between women and men work well. And uh, the research question ultimately that I brought to the process was, you know, what is the, the best set of attributes that compose healthy, flourishing ministry partnerships between women and men? So that kind of is the governing question that I brought to the process. And then, like I said, I spent four wonderful years trying to answer that, um, gathering input from more than 60 different staff workers. and. Um, and synthesizing that, again, mad scientist style over the span of about a year or so, and then writing it up. Um, and ultimately, the answer to the question, what are the, the set of attributes? There's 10 of them. And so that really is the spine of the model for me, these 10 attributes of flourishing partnerships. One of the things I love about it is I think there's something for everyone. So wherever you're at on your journey of working together with someone of the opposite gender, you'll find... Uh, something in the model that you can interact with that is a growth edge for you or something you're doing well that you can kind of build on. So there's 10 attributes and then I group them into three domains, I call them. And so one of them is the inner life. That's who you are, who you are becoming. The second domain would be the community culture. So the context in which a partnership is situated and then intentional practices is the third one. These are the things that people do to build flourishing partnerships. And so it's those 10 attributes littered across those three domains. And it all got summed up in a Venn diagram, uh, which I went through a number of different models trying to find the right one. And the Venn, one, the Venn model is the right one because it captures the interplay between those 10 attributes. And in the place of overlap, uh, which is right in the middle of the Venn, is the place of flourishing. And I like to define flourishing as being mutually satisfying and missionally effective. So those two axes of flourishing. So mutually satisfying means that more often than not, I leave a time working with someone of the opposite gender personally satisfied, enriched. It's a life-giving experience. I'm glad I get to work with the person. Missionally effective means not only is it great to work together, but we get the job done. Something good happens as a result of the partnership. It's effective in terms of our mission. So that's kind of my 30,000 foot overview of the model. So um, most of our listeners are Christian women who are connected with academia in some way. And there is so much in your model that applies to uh, to life in a lot of different contexts, but I'd love to start by talking 
about church. Um, and I know that our listeners come from different church traditions that vary pretty widely in their support of women in ministry. So if we start kind of on the simpler um, end of the spectrum um, in terms of barriers, how, how would you recommend, how can we use these ideas to increase flourishing when we're in a church that supports women in ministry? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I'll say a couple of things. The first thing is if you're in a church that um, supports and practices authentically practices the full participation of women in ministry, then praise God. <laughs> I think it's the first thing just to say that yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, you know, for me, I'll encourage women who are in this situation to, to go for it, to live into their calling, to use their gifts. Um, sometimes when I'm speaking on this, I'll say that, you know, for centuries, the history of the church, the church has been trying to fulfill the great commission with half the team largely relegated to the bench, right? Where women don't have access and agency. So, so let's try something different. If you're a woman in a church that supports women in ministry, get on the field. And I don't know where the metaphor goes from here and score a goal, <laughs> right? Uh, score a goal in the soccer person. Sure. So, right, so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing though I'll say is one of, one of my experiences as I make the rounds and do coaching and consulting and training, I think in, for many churches and organizations, there's actually a bit of a gap between the espoused or stated value for women in leadership and then the practice of uh, empowering women into leadership in the, in the church. And so even for supportive churches, I think there can be a bit of a disconnect and a lack of alignment between the value and the practice. Um, I'll put it another way and say that I think a lot of churches I've seen have, you know, well-crafted papers, theological papers on their websites or on a table in the back of the church, but the day in day out experience for women might actually not align with what's in that paper. So the paper may proclaim, you know, access and agency and possibility in terms of ministry, but the lived experience might too often be marginalization. That's certainly not true for every church, but I, I think I see it enough of a trend that I'll I'll speak it out here and say, I think when there's a lack of alignment between value and practice, um, I'll just encourage churches to apply and, and organizations to apply a greater level of intentionality, right? Mm -hmm. to, to really push into this and say, how can we manifest our values day in, day out for women? So I'll give some examples of what that could look like. So one mm -hmm. I think every church, I make this point in the book, but every church and organization, I think would benefit from greater, you know, fo focused Bible study on the topic of women and leadership. There's more to learn theologically. I think sometimes we think we're a finished product theologically, and I don't think we should ever get to that place. I think we always want to be learning and growing. And so offering opportunities for people to explore the scriptures would be wonderful. Um, I'd say the same thing with power. So I also make this point in the book. I think I'd love to see more churches and organizations consider their philosophy or maybe their theology around power. How do we think about power? How does Jesus steward power? What does that mean for us as we do our work together in the church? Uh, a third thought, I have a whole chapter in my book about what I call adverse gender dynamics. So these are subtle but potent forces under the surface often that trip up and marginalize women in our organizational settings. Um, I'd love to see churches and organizations develop radars 
you know, that can spot these things, these dynamics, and then take steps to mitigate them. I think that's a way to align value and practice. And then one more thought, I, there's the issue of representation. You know, I think uh, if I could prescribe something to churches and organizations, it would be for them to be intentional about modeling our convictions uh, on our leadership teams, the way we do our Sunday services, the pictures on our websites, et cetera. So I think even for churches who are doing well in this area, and I think there's there's more work to do, and we want to be thoughtful about aligning our value and our and our practice. Yeah, and your book does such a great job of breaking down into these ten attributes um, the different elements that might need a little work, and which I think is so is so helpful for someone who feels like something might be a little bit off. Um, you know, looking at that framework really helps to give clarity about where, where the effort needs to um, be put forth. Um, so let's, let's talk about a different scenario. Uh, what would you say to a woman who attends a church that does not support women in ministry, but who continues to attend for other reasons and feels kind of a little stifled in um, her own expression of her gifts in her church? Yeah. Yeah. I get this question um, fairly often when I, when I present on this. And I think my answer is it depends. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a situational, um, answer in a lot of ways. Um, so I don't want to be a one size fits all kind of person. I think there's two, two scenarios maybe, Anne, that I, I experience the most here. I think for, for some women in this situation, they feel called by God to stay and be a prophetic presence and, you know, an agent of change, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, they love the church. They love the people. They want to see the church become a place where women and themselves are empowered. Um, and again, sometimes I hear women in this place use the language of calling to talk about how they feel about the church and about bringing change. I think for me, when I hear that, <laughs> my question then as a, as a person who wants to be an ally is, well, how can I support you? <laughs> right. How can I right. come alongside you? What do you need to be successful? Um, I think if for women who feel called to bring change, this can be a bumpy road. Um, and so I think for me and for others around in, in a network around these women, what do you need to survive and even thrive? And how can we help with that? So that's kind of one category for me with this question. A second one, though, would be that maybe absent that sense of call and prophetic um, call to the, to that work. I have a bit of a pastoral concern, I think for women who want to use their gifts, but face theological, or maybe it's church culture restrictions. I think over time for women in that place, they can grow increasingly bitter. Um, Mm -hmm. It's difficult to be consistently marginalized. So for example, to have an idea and have that continually be ignored to want to use a gift and have that continually be shunned. I think eventually I've seen women head out the back door, like leave in pain from, from that kind of a venue. And so, you know, I don't say this lightly and every situation is different, but I think for women in this scenario, it's okay to search out a community, faith community that better fits that, that has a vision for the gifts that women bring to the table and a desire to put that gifting and calling to work. So those are two sort of general situations. There are probably more, but I, I think the, the bottom line for me is uh, it's, this is a situational thing, I think, and for the most part. 
Yeah, and I appreciate the pastoral lens you're you're seeing these situations through, and that um, that for the person who for who, for whom they sense a calling to be an agent of change, you know, how can we support them? And then for someone who, in in a different situation, just to be aware of your own spiritual health. Um, and you mentioned um, I wanted to follow up. You were mentioning. Um, that you've seen women become bitter. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was thinking about this and about the, um, the level of trauma that I think so many women experience um, in this sense of marginalization that they encounter when they're using their gifts in the church, you know, or even just, um, I'll tell maybe a particular story that, <laughs> that kept coming up for me as I was reading. Sure this book, when I was in college, I was dating a young man who had become very passionate about his faith. And we went to a church that I'd been attending. There was a woman pastor and this guy, he went up after church and chewed her out for preaching. Mm -hmm. And I, I rarely think about this story, but it just came kind of raging back <laughs> as I was reading your book, yeah. thinking about how that woman must have felt and how painful that was for me kind of standing there. I mean, I was 18 or 19 and I was telling him that does not seem right. You know, he's, you know, 20 yeah. and you know, the shame that I felt being, you know, talking to him and then, but then, you know, talking about, you know, scripture says and et cetera. And so I guess what I'm, what I'm asking is, from your research and from your conversations and your experiences, what have you observed about how women can address these experiences and move forward into seeking and having hope for mixed gender ministry partnerships that flourish? Yeah. Well, wow. That's quite an experience you had, man. <laughs> I, I think, I think you're right that, you know, the women listening to this podcast are nodding right now because I think it's true that those experiences are common. I mean, there's sort of like everybody's individual story, but then there's like this collective trauma, I think that women kind of tap into when those things, kinds of things happen. I mean, I tell a story in the book of, um, of a conversation I had with a, a student who um, had been mentored by my wife, Amy. And, uh, and she was tremendous, is tremendous with the scriptures. And so back then we would always find these young up and coming leaders and, and give them to Amy to work with for a year to mentor and train and develop. And at the end of the, the year together, the student has said to Amy, this male student had said to Amy, you know, I've grown more this year under your leadership than ever before. And so thankful. It was like the word that every campus minister wants to hear, right? Like this sure. information, this blessing. So fast forward a couple months, I don't know, six months maybe, and um, I'm sitting with him on campus and he's telling me about how he's involved in a church and this church is proclaiming a message that there are gender roles and women are called to support men and leadership and uh, kind of similar to the experience you just shared. And he's telling me this, he's going on about his theological change and it's clear he's got a conviction. And at the end of the time, I ask him the question that I've been waiting to ask him the whole way through, which is, hey, I know what you told Amy at the end of last year, that you've grown more under her leadership than ever before. In light of what you're telling me now, how do you hold that? How do you hold that experience from last year? And it was pretty clear to me in that moment that he hadn't 
um, thought about that. And so he took a second to his credit, he took a second, thought about it, looked at me and said, that was God using Amy in spite of her disobedience. Ugh. At which point I, uh, nearly lost my cool, tried to hold it together. <laughs> um, that's my wife you're talking about there. I mean, that story for me, Anne, illustrates the theological, the importance of theology for one thing, but it also illustrates what you're describing, which is this trauma that exists for too many women in the context of the church, that, that for Amy's faithful, diligent, hard, good work to be evaluated as God using her in spite of her disobedience is, man, it's such a such a toxic experience, right? So yeah. um, in terms of what we do about that, <laughs> I think for one thing, uh, well, there's probably lots of different prescriptives there, but I think for one thing, we need to do some work caring for women who have been through the trauma, right? So uh, what are our systems? What are our, how are we creating venues, safe spaces for women to process, um, caring people who can come alongside them, who can bring who can listen and minister and care for people. So I think that's probably one level of that. I think a second level of that would be, you know, a lot of the things in Together in Ministry I, I are designed to change that experience for that student or for the, the, the woman who is preaching in your story. And so hopefully we can take little steps that bring change um, and those steps grow over time, right? And we create a different venue. I think the third thought for me, and I've thought a lot about this is how do we help, how do we equip men to not do that kind of stuff, right? To, right. <laughs> to, not, to first do no harm, to use the, to paraphrase the Hippocratic Oath. I mean, I think how do we help men see themselves as allies to women and not be a part of the problem? So a few thoughts there, I think, but I, I think mostly what I'd say is um, for women listening, I just, that is so hard. You know, I just, the, the trauma of that and I ache for that and I'm doing everything I can to try to change the, the paradigm. Well, and I think it helps a lot, you know, to heal um, elements of those wounds to, to read together in ministry and to hear how much effort you put into um, creating a new, a new vision for this, this kind of partnership and for a world where that kind of thing doesn't happen. Um, I wanted to follow up on something you were talking about, um, male allies. So, I mean, in your book, you have, I mean, you've given us this gift as a man and as an ally to women who wish to use their leadership, leadership gifts. And I'm, I'm imagining that there may be some women who do have these strong male allies in their lives who can support them. Um, and then there may be women who do not have male allies like this. So these women might need to do the convincing on their own or with the support of other women. Um, and of course, in that context, challenging male power can feel more difficult. So I'm, I'm just curious to know if you've seen examples where this has worked well or where people have done this well or advice for women who feel kind of alone. Yeah, great, great question. I mean, so for women who feel called to be this prophetic agent of change we talked about earlier, again, I think it's an uphill battle. It's a chat. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, Anne, I think I have heard more stories of women who have tried and have not found a hearing. It's the church has not been receptive. Change has not happened. Mm -hmm. And then success stories, which that's probably the bad news. The good news is not probably that is the bad news. The good news is um, 
I have seen women stay, be committed, be uh, pushed for change. And I have seen some, I, I know some positive stories. So yesterday I got an email from a woman who is working in a church. I've consulted with her just a couple of times over the last number of months. And um, she told me with great glee, and it was great to get this email that the church had recently voted to change the bylaws so that women could be appointed to be pastors. And they're working towards installing a couple of women as leaders, which is like the first time that's ever happened in the church. Wow. Right. And you know, I need to think more about this probably, but her story for me is a, is a case study of doing a whole lot of things right from, you know, she did a great job, I think, gathering support from other women in the church. She did a great job of reaching out to, you know, someone like me that she met at a conference and I've been able to kind of give her some help, encouragement at least. Right. And so there's that, I think she's been really patient. Uh, Change has come slowly. She's probably been working on this for, well, in earnest for two years, but a lot longer than that in terms of laying groundwork. I think she's played the quote unquote political game really well. Like she's thought of who are the right people I need to talk to and what's the sequencing on that and how do I approach them? Um, She wrote a paper that has been really well received. So she's done a lot of things right, I think. And so those stories are out there and I don't want to say, I don't want to paint too negative a picture, but it is a hard road, you know, and I think we need to recognize that. And so again, for those of us who want to see change in the church around this, how do we come alongside the people who are called to be in the trenches and bringing that kind of change? Um, maybe one of the, can I say one the thing about the ally idea? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, we do need more male allies. If you're a man listening to this podcast, I'll ask you, what can you do? to be a better ally to, to women in your networks. Um, I mean, to me, I like the term ally and allyship because it, it involves, in my view, a range of activities from you know, standing in solidarity with women, supporting women, empowering women. I think there's a sponsoring and mentoring thing that happens. I think advocacy is also a part of allyship, although I think sometimes we think advocacy is allyship. I think there's a downside to advocacy sometimes. So I view it as one of a series of behaviors underneath the umbrella of being an ally. And so what does it look like to be an effective ally? I think that's a key question for people like me to think about, men like me to think about. Um, And then I think the the other thing I'd say about allies, male allies, is we can be intentional about raising up allies. I mean, I think we can have a vision for raising up men, discipling men to become better allies to women. I I wrote an article last year um, laying out a seven-step pathway (laughs) that that tried to standardize a pathway, if you will, to like develop men into more effective allies to women. And I'd love to see churches and organizations be more intentional about that so that when a woman gets to the point where she wants to speak to power and bring change, there are people around her, men around her, who can be um, be a part of that process with her. So, a couple thoughts on allyship. Super, and we'll we'll link to that from our show notes too, cool. so yeah, people great. can read that. Thank you. Sure. So, thinking about um, people who maybe have different opinions mm-hmm. on um, on these topics. I, I think you seem to do an amazing job of living in this space between holding your own convic- convictions and at the same time 
graciously allowing others to hold different opinions that you might disagree with. And not all of us are so naturally generous. And I'm curious to know if you have tips for how to, how to, you know, continue to hold on to your own, you know, understanding of what is true, allow others to have a different, I mean, this is, you know, this is in the context of thinking about women in ministry and um, women in leadership. Um, but of course, in our entire society, we have a lot of this. Yep. So what have you, what have you found that is helpful in, uh, in being generous and also holding to your own convictions? Yeah. Great question. And it's a little bit of a lost art, isn't it to like it <laughs> engage someone that you disagree with and do it well. Um, so I think for me, um, praise God, if that comes across in the book, because that is a hard one. Um, and it's something that's developed in me over time. So I think I tell this story in the book as well, but I, at one point, I had done a bunch of research and work on women in leadership theology because students in my intervarsity community were, were being taught from the churches in our town that, that you know, women were, were followers, men were leaders. And so I'd done a bunch of work on this, and I went to a bunch of different meetings with students trying to walk them through a, an egalitarian way of thinking about this. And so um, at one point, I found myself, I walked into a meeting with a student, and he wasn't alone. There was a, a pastor from a local church there. I knew that pastor by name or by reputation. And as soon as I saw him, my heart just sank because I knew I was in for a really rough hour. And sure enough, he just eviscerated me. He, um, I mean, he, he just was like, Rob, you are a false teacher. And he said that to me probably 15 times. I don't know. And it was just like this. And I'd be like, why? And he's like, well, because you're letting women preach from the Bible, right? <laughs> he just would going. And, um, I left that meeting and, um, devastated for sure. And it took a team to put me back together again. Uh, but what that did was it propelled me into the season of study and reflection, more intense study and reflection. And on the back end of that, I came out, that's the right way to put it militant about, about an egalitarian theology. Like if you disagreed with me about an egalitarian reading of the scriptures, you know, we were going to have problems. And mm. I, I became really uh, vigorous about that. And it took a, um, I was driving one time with a mentor of mine, a longtime pastor, mentor, friend of mine. And he, I was telling him how I felt. I was so animated and fired up about this. And he paused for a second and he said, Rob, you're becoming like that pastor. And it just, oh. it just devastated me. Right. I just was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because I, because I had such a hard negative experience with that pastor. I didn't even want to have that. <laughs> the comparison just about right. killed me. And he said, this mentor of mine said, you have to learn how to hold your convictions with humility. And mm -hmm. for me, that's become just a watchword. You know, how we, what we think matters, what we believe matters, what we understand the scriptures to say matters. And we should do all of the work we can to develop a conviction that's a, and I think we need to do more of that in the church, particularly around women in leadership. But I, in the same breath, and I'd say how we hold our convictions, how we hold our theology matters just as much, I think, or at least it's close, right? It matters a great deal how we hold our theology. And do we hold it in a way that, you know, smacks people upside the head? Or do we hold it in a way where we can engage with people who are different? So that's taken a long journey for me to get there. I try to listen well. 
I'm not always successful by the way. I mean, I, again, I appreciate your compliment, but I, I mean, I have my moments where I am on the red line, so to speak, and I'm struggling to like, you know, have a, a, a objective response to someone, but, but I, but I try, right. And I'm really working on that. And it's on the front of my brain. And I think that's probably where it starts is be, people being aware. How are you holding your theology and what does it look like for you to engage well with someone who's different than who thinks differently than you do? I like that, that word and that description of having, holding your convictions with humility, that, that seems like a, um, a really great way to describe that. Let's turn for a minute um, and talk about the, the work arena. Um, I know that this framework is really aimed toward ministry partnerships, but I'm curious yeah. to know what elements of this model you've seen applied effectively in secular professional contexts. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I make this point in the book, but I think in many ways, too many ways, in my opinion, um, corporate America is actually ahead of the church when it comes to women and men in partnership. I think corporate America has figured out that, uh, I'll borrow a phrase from one of the books I read in the last couple of years, that diversity equals dollars is kind mm -hmm. of the, the framing that gets used, right? That And plenty of studies attest to that, by the way, that the more diverse your organization is, the more that diversity means something matters, is able to be leveraged, the better that company will do in terms of the bottom line, right? Um, so I think, uh, I think that's one thing to say is the corporate America has figured this out in a way that the church has not yet. But here's the kicker for me. We should know that in the church. We should know right. that diversity <laughs> equals bottom line fruit and results, right? I mean, the idea that diversity grows the mission or the bottom line is embedded in the very first chapter of our Bibles when God creates women and men and grants them authority together, you know, to steward the created world. God knew the value of diversity long before corporate America did. So if I had my magic wand and like uh, the church would become a leader in this, would embrace a vision for diversity and become a leader in this area, not a follower. So all of that said, right, that's my soapbox a little bit, but all of that said, I, I, um, I think much of together in ministry would apply really well in secular professional contexts. If you read, you know, some HBR, Harvard Business Review articles, there's often uh, they publish articles about, let's say, for example, the importance of communicating well as women and men. Well, I have a chapter on that too, right? So I think that it would trans, it would, uh, it would go well in a in a secular setting. I think there probably would need to be some translation. So I don't see many secular workplaces talking about theology and things like that. But every workplace in America, whether we're talking about secular or sacred or a mix of the both every workplace in America would benefit from improved communication between women and men, or every workplace in America would benefit from developing a radar for seeing those adverse gender dynamics, right? Every workplace would be blessed by individuals who are committed to a learner's posture. So I think all the things, all the 10 attributes uh, would find their expression well in a secular arena. That makes a lot of sense. And you divide it up in these 10 attributes so well that it's easy to find ones that really are applicable in different situations. Yeah. yeah sometimes when I'm presenting, one of the ways that I, I, it's a lot of information, right? When I'm presenting on this, it's 10 attributes, which, uh, you know, it's a lot to give to a group of people. And so what I, one of the things I do is I say, as you're going through, and I think this is in the book as well, as you're going through the 10 attributes, give yourself a letter grade for each one, mm. right? So 
you know, when I read this chapter, oh, I think I give myself a B plus here, or I give my community a C minus here or whatever. And then, um, and then the thing I've said to folks in the past is at the end, go back through, pick a high letter grade. So that's a strength and think about some ways to accentuate or develop that strength further. Right. So, and then, and then the other piece of it is pick a low letter grade and let's talk about ways, think about ways you can mitigate that, that weakness. So that's just one way to sort of take this, these 10 attributes and try to uh, fine tune uh, a couple of application points. So yeah, that helps to kind of make it more bite-sized yeah. instead of feeling like you have to become an expert in yes. all of them at once. <laughs> yes, eventually, right? Over time. Right, right. Well, you know, reading this book, um, and I've mentioned this a little bit, I I felt kind of these equal parts of hope and despair because I love this vision that you're describing but it's such a rare person who demonstrates the kind of emotional and spiritual maturity needed to get there and let alone with churches and communities. So I, you know, I would feel like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And oh my goodness, we're so far from that. But from your vantage point in studying these kinds of mixed gender ministry partnerships, tell me about the reason there is to hope and where you see the spirit of God at work. Well, I think first, Anne, I'll just really resonate with your experience of hope and despair. I mean, I, I do, I think I mentioned, I do some training and coaching, consulting with different organizations around the country. And um, depending on how the last experience went, <laughs> I may be full of hope. Things are changing. This, we can do this. Or I may be full of despair, right? Things are never right. going to change. We're in trouble. Um, so I just, I resonate with that uh, roller coaster of emotions for sure. So I feel that too. Um, I think, you know, for me, the, the reason why there's that roller coaster experience or one of them anyway, is that we're not taking on this project of flourishing mixed gender ministry partnerships in a vacuum, right? Um, in other words, we're not starting this project from scratch. I'll use a, I'll paraphrase an Old Testament story and say, I think there's, there's giants in the land, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. And in, in, in Together in Ministry, I, I try to name several of the giants that would keep us from having flourishing mixed gender ministry partnerships uh, from a theology. So examples, a theology that restricts the full participation of women in ministry, I think our paradigms of masculinity and femininity can get in the way. I think the church is bent, historic bent towards silence around issues of gender. Those are just a few. Um, so, so it's an uphill climb and I don't mm -hmm. want to say otherwise. Um, but I, with that said, I, I think there is reason for hope um, because I think when we can apply, and I, I use this as the last chapter of my book. So I apply when you can, we can apply a bit of intentionality mixed with some courage, I think mm -hmm. we will start to see change. It's like uh, if we can take little steps before long, you're taking bigger steps and bigger steps and you're moving in the right direction, right? So let me give a quick story. This might help. Um, so I'm consulting with a group of folks, an organization, and they, they've had problems getting women into uh, middle management in their organization. They have a lot of women coming in at the ground level, but there's, they're not progressing to middle management. And we did a, an exercise where we tried to diagnose why and, and what are the barriers to women mm -hmm. up with a lot of great thoughts. But one of them was 
that the process, the hiring process to get from, you know, entry level to middle management was daunting, overwhelming, unclear. It felt uh, like this sort of, to use a phrase like masculine process that felt disorienting to, to women who might think about applying for it. And so we, we sat down and we said, well, what are some things we could do to mitigate that? What are some interventions we could, we could pursue? And one of them was um, finding seasoned women, women who'd been around the organization, who'd been through the process, who could serve as mentors for, you know, would-be candidates, women who were thinking about applying. And so we created this system where uh, well, I didn't create it. The, the folks in the organization did. They did a great job of finding these women and giving them a little bit of training, empowering them. And it was a game changer. Well, it's in the process of becoming a game changer. Let me say that where these mentor women would help the younger women think about how to write the application or how to present in an interview. They were available to help interpret the masculine culture. They were able to pray for these women and care for them spiritually, right? And so, so they've got candidates moving through the pipeline into middle management. Now, that story for me, Anne, I don't see that intervention step as like this earth-shattering, crazy, this is, <laughs> I told my wife when, after I got back from the call, this is, doesn't feel like rocket science to me, right? It feels like a practical, thoughtful next step, a wise move. Right. But but it wasn't happening. And so having the grid of asking the question, why aren't women thriving here? Is there something we can do? Open the door to this intentional move that the organization could make to solve the problem. And hopefully, Lord willing, they'll find women in middle management. Then we have to talk about how they can thrive in middle management. And there's all these conversations that spin off from that. But they're the ones we need to be having. Right. And mm -hmm. not having them. Is creating a, an, an adverse environment for women in the organization. So, so all that to say, the reason for hope for me is I think a little bit of intentionality goes the long way goes a long way here, and when we can do that with courage and hope and faith, I think we will start to see um, our context change. And I'm here for it, right? So whatever I can do, and the book is one big step in that process to create that momentum. Um, I hope it does. I love that story of, um, you know, some simple changes that can be made. Reading your book, I felt like I kept being um, driven to my knees in a way where I'm just, you know, when it, when it seems like it's too hard or that the obstacles are too many, it reminds me of, okay, if this is a vision worth working for, then let's ask for God's help and let's follow where the spirit is at work and your story. I mean, that's, you know, having, having a, a group of people who wish to have more women in upper management and middle management, that, that can be the, the prompting of God to, yes. um, to bring about more of this vision and then for us to take some, some small actions to bring that forth. So that is encouraging. Maybe I so. Like that. Yeah, maybe yeah. so. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. I am going to make sure that our, our listeners know that um, Together in Ministry is going to be released on September 28th, and you can pre-order it at InterVarsity Press or anywhere books are sold. And I'll have those links on our webpage connected with this episode. And Rob, do you want to tell us about 
anything that you'd like to share with the listeners about how they can follow you? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, first of all, I'll say that on the 28th, when the book launches, we're doing a Zoom book launch event and anyone's welcome to come to that. So you can find the sign up on my social media. So for, um, there's a website that's in process. I'll just lower the bar for people. I'm working on it, (laughs) right? It's a work in progress, uh, but it's uh, drrobdixon.com. So D-R-R-O-B-D-I-X-O-N.com. You can find me on Twitter, it's kind of my primary social media platform. That's uh, Rob F. Dixon, um, at Rob F. Dixon. So I'm also on Facebook as well. People can find me there too, if they'd like. And um, and there'll be information on how to get to that, that book launch. Probably will also be on the InterVarsity social, InterVarsity Press's social media as well at some point. But it's going to be a fun event because I've got some folks coming from different parts of my world who will speak to what they're seeing when they look out at the landscape in the church and our organizations around men and women working together. So I'm excited to hear their voices. And then I'll say a little, a few things as well. And we'll send this book into the world properly that way. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah. And I'll put, I'll put all of those links on our webpage um, so that people can find it easily. Cool. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rob. Thank you. And thanks. Uh, let me say this too, Anne. I, I appreciate the well and all that you all do. I, I'm a subscriber. I get the the emails in my inbox and the the content is rich and life-giving. And I'm super grateful to be a part of the the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been so great to talk with you. What a joy it has been to have you all with us. All Shall Be Well is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $5 or $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at give2iv.org slash thewell or through our donation link at the well. Thanks so much for listening in today. We'll catch you next time.